0: You're listening to episode 162 of the Rebel Buddhist Podcast, where we talk about what I learned from Ram Dass without reading any of his books. Welcome to the Rebel Buddhist Podcast, where we explore how to use the science of psychology, Eastern spiritual practices like mindfulness and compassion, and the game-changing work of self-coaching so you can free your mind and free your life. I'm your host, Anna Verzoni. Hey, hey, wild and wacky humans. Being human can be hard. Am I right? I'm in Hawaii right now to make it a bit easier this week, but I'm heading back to Alaska soon where someone forgot to make summer happen. <laughs> Except for these long ass days of gray that still make it hard to sleep at night without the benefit of like all the sunshine and bright days. So, I'm hoping that my weather karma will shift things when I get back. So anyway, in the past few weeks, I've noticed that Ram Dass has been coming up a lot in my clients' journeys and my work and just in my orbit in general. And I think this is kind of interesting because Ram Dass, otherwise known as Richard Alpert, was sort of this peripheral figure in my spiritual life at first. And I'd heard about his book, Be Here Now, in high school. I initially heard about him when I was experimenting with LSD when I was 15 and heard about his research at Harvard with Timothy Leary. And as a Filipina woman raised as a strict Catholic in a poor and violent neighborhood, now experimenting with psychedelics, I didn't pay too much attention to him. Because I was like, oh, it's just another privileged white guy who got to travel to India and stuff to find himself while the rest of the world was under extreme duress, right? <laughs> but anyway, over the years, I have learned more about Blessed Ram Dass and his spiritual path, and he's been a great influence on my life. But even then, I never brought myself to read Be Here Now, but he started appearing in my life more and more, and then later... In my journey, he was a guest teacher in a death doula training I was considering with Bodhi B on Maui. And I tried to do this training for years. And in the meantime, I dove more deeply into his teachings on death and dying. And I really respected his approach because he himself had suffered a stroke in 1997 and left him with expressive aphasia, which is an impairment in how you express yourself in in speech. And He managed to find a blessing in this, and he said, The stroke was giving me lessons, and I realized that was grace, fierce grace. Death is the biggest change we'll face, so we need to practice change. Isn't that amazing? Then he had another more severe stroke in 2004 in India, and then moved to Maui where he eventually died. And while I didn't ever read an entire book of his, I have studied with him, I've read some articles he wrote, I've jotted down truth bombs that he dropped every time I heard him teach. And I have to say, even without reading anything he's done in its entirety, if I reflected on only three sentences I've heard from him for the rest of my life, I would die a happier person. So I'm going to share those with you right now. So the first one is be here. Now. That's what he's so known for, right? And it's been used sarcastically over the years, you know, it seems overly woo to some people. Just be here now. But it's one of the deepest teachings there is. Rarely have I found suffering to be occurring when I'm focusing on what's happening in the present moment. It's usually when I'm regretting the past or feeling shame about it, or trying to change the past, which, hello, is impossible, or when I'm worried, or let's face it, when I'm really fucking freaked out about the future, right? Or when we're just resisting what is and wishing it would be different. But if I'm being in the present instead of resisting it, or being in the past or future, I often realize, whoa, in this moment, right here, right now, I'm safe. I have all I need. I'm safe. Just reminding myself of that a lot. And he spoke about how one stage of his life was filled with so much planning, like anticipating the next trip or having to plan the next year and whatnot. But then he reached a point where he was more able to be here now. And that was even after the book he wrote. So he said, it's interesting how when you give another human being your family, or your business, the fullness of your being at any moment, a little is enough. Well, when you give them half of it because you're time binding with your mind, there's never enough. You begin to hear the secret that being fully in the present moment is the greatest gift you can give to each situation. Right? That's it, my friends, right there. I remember I read a parenting blog that was like, when your kids need attention, give them 15 minutes of full attention and they'll feel fulfilled way more than an hour or two of half-assed attention. And I'm sure they didn't say it that way, but you get what I mean. So he said, when I'm waking up, going to the bathroom and I meet somebody on the path and they say, hey, have you got a minute? I probably have a minute. So I say, yeah. And I turn to them. And in that moment, I'm no longer somebody going to the bathroom. I'm somebody listening to their question. I'm just right there. And that takes me less time to deal with that thing fully. I hear them fully. They hear me hearing them and we do the communication. I don't hold to like, yeah, sure. But I'm always thinking about going to the bathroom while I'm listening to the question. And I just love that, you know, this gift of being fully present for life, whether it's just you and a butterfly or you and a tree or you and a sunset. Because you see, my friends, you're never actually alone. But if it's just you or are the only other human around, right? Or even if you're with another being, if we're being fully present, if we're going to offer the gift of our being, it means offering the fullness of the precious moment we're in. The feeling that you're not doing enough at home while you're at work turns into, you don't do enough at work and then you don't do enough at home, right? We feel half-assed in both arenas. But if you work fully when you're in either place, when you're fully present in either place, then, then that's giving enough space and that awareness to see the different areas of our life and see what we're really working on in the moment, what we're really being present with. If I look at my calendar and there's all these things to do, you know, in, in my relationships, I've got to lead retreats. I see I have to rest. I see this pattern in my life and I can look at it and think like, do these create a life that is helping me meet my unique purpose in this lifetime? Bring my unique gifts to my people. Is this part of my spiritual path? And if not, what do I want to let go of? Right, And if so, okay, so what do I want to keep? And then we can be more at peace with how we're designing our day-to-day life. And we can be fully present because we know it's worth it. Right? We can be fully in the thing that we're in. So yeah, be here now to decrease suffering and to be fully present for the miracle of life and to give one of the greatest gifts you can to another and to yourself, your attention. And the second sentence, well, it's more of a story than a sentence. Ram Dass said, When you go out into the woods and you look at trees, you see all these different trees and some of them are bent, some of them are straight, some of them are evergreens and some of them are whatever. And you look at the tree and you allow it. You see why it's the way it is. You sort of understand that it didn't get enough light and so it turned that way and you don't get all emotional about it. You just allow it. You appreciate the tree. The minute you get near humans, you lose all that. And you're constantly saying you're to this or I'm to this. And the judgment mind comes in. So I practice turning people into trees, which means appreciating them just the way they are. So I guess if I had to pick a sentence from that story, it would be the last two combined. I practice turning people into trees, which means appreciating them just the way they are. And I would even say seeing them for the way they are and understanding and accepting them as, you know, this is what happened due to these circumstances. Because you see, most of the time we see what people do and we get so angry with them. We personalize it and make it mean something about how they don't respect us, how they don't love us, how they don't care, how they don't get us, right? But if we could just understand why they do what they do, when we can embrace the reality that hurt humans, hurt other humans. Well, shit, that's a game changer. We can see that people do what they do because we're suffering. We're all wounded children walking around the world, bumping into each other and our tender wounds. Not to mention how we seem to pick intimate partners that open up our core wounds, right? And this segues into the third thing I wanted to touch on today, his saying that we are all walking each other home. (sighs) And this still brings tears to my eyes. And I want to read you a short piece I wrote for Elephant Journal. I think it was my very first article published by someone else online, I think, in an online journal. So I showed up to school. Well, here, I'm going to read it. I showed up to school in seventh grade, eager to see my best friend. It had been a long weekend, and I was excited to catch up and tell her about the new fantasy book I'd started reading. I walked up to her and the group of people she was talking to. And that's odd, I thought. She didn't usually hang out with these people, but I assumed there was a good reason. And as I approached, I immediately felt like I'd made a big mistake. They all stopped talking, looked at me, looked at each other, and giggled. Then they walked off together, glancing back at me and whispering to each other. My best friend looked at me with disgust and left me standing there, all alone. What the fuck had just happened? I felt a cold chill run up my spine. My armpits felt wet and sticky, and I had to steady myself as the blood rushed out of my head. What followed was a miserable week. I went to school each day on the verge of tears. My best friend, my confidant, my sister from another mister, she was ignoring me and shaming me. Each time I looked at her and her new group of friends, I imagined she had just told them one of the deep, dark secrets that only she knew like how I had a crush on Marcos, the hot eighth-grade basketball player, or how I was doing exercises to make my boobs grow. I ate lunch alone. A bird nearly shit on me while I was eating my sandwich on a bench in the courtyard, and I cried just from thinking about how embarrassing it would have been and how they would all have made fun of me. I waited for my parents to pick me up alone. Everyone chatted and played and made weekend plans, and I sat there with my head down. Wishing for the day to end. I did my homework in my room alone, each minute dragging on as my brain couldn't focus on the algebra problems in front of me. I'd never felt so damn alone. The weekend passed, and I dreaded having yet another week of loneliness ahead of me. It didn't occur to me to try to hang out with other kids. No one was reaching out, and I was too devastated and embarrassed to try to hang with a different crowd. I went to class, sat down, and waited for the long day to begin. At the beginning of the year, my best friend and I had ensured our seating assignments were next to each other, permanently. But every day, I felt the distance between us like I was perched on the precipice of a cliff, ready to tumble down a great chasm. Then one day, I felt her move closer. Her arm was reaching across the aisle to hand me something, a note. I didn't want to open it, afraid of the humiliation it would cause, but I did. Why delay suffering any longer than I needed to? I unfolded one half of it and could see the faint sign of a heart written on the other side. My own heart leapt. I unfolded the rest and read the words she wrote in purple gel pen. Dear Anna, I'm so sorry for being mean to you last week. I thought I wanted to be friends with new people and to have more friends, but you are my best friend, and I really missed you. I don't want lots of friends, just you. I love you. Your best friend, I hope, Ella. And I bolted up and walked to the door. Where are you going? My teacher asked. I have to go to the bathroom, I said as I held my breath and fought back the tears. I pushed the bathroom door open and let out my sobs, tears falling like late summer rainstorm onto the floor, tears so large it was like I could hear them hit the floor. I wasn't sure what I was feeling. Was it joy, happiness that my friend was back? In the end, I think it was relief, relief that I wasn't walking this world alone. Life is hard enough. So much suffering exists in this world, even on a good day. The day I opened my friend's note, I learned how much we as humans need one another, how much I needed a friend, and what a blessing it is to have someone to stand next to, who will hold our hand. Ram Das said, we are all just walking each other home. Those words ring so true when I think of this story. We were not meant to walk this world alone. How terribly isolating and devastating it can feel to be alone. So we must reach out when we see loneliness. We must reach out when we feel loneliness. We need one another, more likely than any of us would likely ever admit. Hmm. So that's it right there, right? We're all walking each other home to the inevitable arrival at the end of this one precious, miraculous wildlife on this planet and this body with these people. Kindness is what matters. You know, a lot of people ask me how I come up with these topics and know so much. But another thing Ram Dass said was he said, I help people as a way to work on myself and I work on myself to help people. me, that's what the emerging game is all about. So yeah, what he said, we're all walking each other home. So which of these three teachings speaks to you today? Staying present, be here now, right? Seeing people as trees, being more accepting of why they do what they do or why they are, how they are, you know, looking at it through a lens of compassion. Or to remember kindness, compassion, and tenderness, knowing that we're all just walking each other home. And to, you know, reach out. Today, let at least one of these impact you and the beings you interact with. Maybe we can actually pause when someone asks to speak to us and put our phone down, look them in the eye, give Mm -hmm. them our full attention. It might even freak people out to receive this much connection and presence, but it's a gift. Or maybe we can cut some slack to that family member or partner or colleague who's so fucking annoying and see their behavior as more of a quirk, a coping mechanism, a defense mechanism, a way for them to protect themselves from the challenges of being human. Maybe we can take a moment to reflect on our own impermanence, how we're going to die and we don't know when. And so is that person bagging our groceries. That person fixing our car, delivering our mail, or driving in the lane next to us to work. Maybe we can remember that, right? Like, why the hell are we so mean to each other when in the end we will all meet the same end? Maybe we can remember kindness and gentleness and patience and love and reach out when we see someone who's lonely. Ramdas said, we are loving awareness. This guy even had a picture of Trump on his altar, and he said he'd look at it and say, I see you for your soul, not your karma. But boy, did you have some karma, right? To be able to see others with loving awareness, with a perspective of compassion, because being human is hard, and we are all walking each other home. Ramdas died on December 22nd, 2019, at the age of 88. And he said, Death is our greatest challenge, as well as our greatest spiritual opportunity. By cultivating mindfulness, we can prepare ourselves for this final passage by allowing nature, rather than ego, to guide us. So may this be a benefit. May one of these three sweet truth bombs that he's dropped for me resonate with you. And may it impact not just you, but everyone you come into contact with. All right. Until next week. If you like what you heard, spread the love and share it. And if you want to learn more about how to free your mind and free your life, check out rebelbuddhist.com and grab my free Rebel Buddhist Training Kit, where you'll receive a video training on cultivating resilience, a copy of the gorgeous Rebel Buddhist Manifesto, and more. That's rebelbuddhist.com.